Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, we've all been there. You're going through something really painful, really hard, and some really well-meaning person in your life offers you the most trite and cliche advice they can think of. You're pouring your heart out, talking about this thing that's affecting you at every level, and somebody says to you, you know, there's always somebody that has it worse. And, and I guess in a world of 8 billion people, objectively that has to be true, just statistically, but what I fail to see, and probably what you fail to see in that moment, is how that little tidbit can be in any way helpful through the circumstances that you are facing right there in that moment. And on this third week of Advent, as we continue in our series, we're calling The Next Right Thing, we're going to encounter some advice that Paul gives to the Thessalonian church that may sound like that kind of moment. Like Paul is just saying, oh, ignore all the other stuff, just do these things. It may sound idealistic, naive, cliche, trite, but what we want to see today is how these exhortations that we're going to look at, that we just had read for us from 1 Thessalonians, are not some uh, repressionist, like reductionist way of looking at the world, denying reality, living in delusion, but they're actually an invitation to make way, to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives, a way to expand our hearts and to practice the way of the kingdom of God. So we begin with Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, he writes, Rejoice always. Now, I don't know about you, but there are several things in my life that keep me from rejoicing regularly, much less always. So Paul's coming out strong here. Is he just starting with this unrealistic expectation for us, some sort of hopeless ideal that we can never hope to actually attain? Well, I actually don't think that's what's going on here. You see, I think that we have to read this passage that we've now had read for us in 1 Thessalonians 5 backwards. If we read it in a straightforward manner, we can hear these exhortations as checklist items, things that we just have to sort of grit our teeth, put our head down, do it no matter what. And what we miss is that these exhortations that Paul offers are actually a work of grace that are brought forth out of the presence of God in our lives. You see, verse 19 tells us not to quench the Spirit of God. Paul writes elsewhere that we are temples of the living God, that God has made His home, not in a a house built with human hands, not in a building that you can go to, but actually in human hearts that He comes and makes His dwelling with us. Verse 23 is a prayer of blessing, asking that God, the God of peace, would sanctify us. God is the object of this verb, sanctify. The verb sanctify means to make holy. This is what God does as he draws near patiently and faithfully in our lives. So what we have in this passage is an intersection, an intersection between the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul outlines in Galatians, and the the gifts of the Spirit, which Paul will outline in 1 Corinthians. The fruit of the Spirit 
are attributes of God. The good things of God poured out in our lives that flourish in our lives because of God's presence. These are things like joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The gifts of the Spirit are the power of God manifested in and through our lives in order to serve those around us, especially the church. In verses 20 and 21, Paul makes reference to these gifts of the Spirit, the gift of prophecy and the gift of discernment. So the imperative to rejoice always. Back to that initial invitation. This is not just a reductionist sort of uh, suggestion imploring us towards a saccharine and shallow life. It is an acknowledgement of the very heart of Advent, that God is with us. Somebody asks you, what is Advent? What is Christmas about? God with us. Psalm 23 reflects on this paradox that we see introduced. As David describes God walking with us, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And at the same time, in the midst of these very bleak circumstances, God, the shepherd and the king, preparing a table for David in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of those things that would try to unravel us. And we, we miss the invitation to rejoice always because in our culture and in our assumptions, we mistake joy for a feeling. When really, joy is not a feeling. Joy is a practice of rebellion against the powers that be. We've all, throughout our lives, experienced moments of profound, just unadulterated joy. Recently, I was able to go to Johnny Cash's house in Tennessee. And I was with a group of people, and we were worshiping God, singing songs of praise to Him in the same room where Roy Orbison had recorded Pretty Woman for the first time, in the same room where Johnny Cash had written and recorded so many of his songs. We're singing in this room that was built for song. And we are pouring out our hearts to God in this thin place that has seen so much history, so much legacy. And in this space, as we're singing to God, this does not happen to me often. But I had this profound sense of God's presence, of his love for me. And it just filled my heart with joy. And and the experience was so powerful. And God's spirit was so heavy in this moment that while we were singing, I, I actually couldn't open my mouth. Like I was trying to sing along with the words, but I could not speak. Again, this does not happen often to me. It was this incredible moment, this transcendent glimpse of heaven. But here's the thing that I know. That moment, that experience was not joy itself. It was a moment where I, it was uniquely attuned to the joy that God has for me at every moment. If I were to spend my life chasing moments like that, I I would mistake this feeling, this experience for the very presence of God. And look at all the factors that went into that moment. Johnny Cash's house, this incredible uh, mountaintop moment. Like, what would it mean to try to recreate those moments? That would be exhausting. But joy is not a feeling. Joy is not something that we always feel. Joy is a practice that we cultivate because God is present. Gordon Fee writes of Paul's instructions here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Paul's emphasis here is not so much on the experience of joy, but on the active expression of it. Joy is living in the present. This is what we are called to. We live in between Advents. 
And we are called to rejoice always in that space. Joy is living in the present, holding the truth of the past, of Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, his resurrection in one hand, and the truth of our future. The fact that he will come again, that the God of Shalom will come and set everything right. And this is the heart of Advent, that we live in between these times. Living out the tension of God with us in between his coming 2,000 years ago and between the day that he will come again. And to do this, we have to cultivate practices of joy. And if you're like me, I have to fight especially hard for joy. And I think the next two instructions that Paul offers in 1 Thessalonians actually offer us insight into what it means to rejoice always. First, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Come again? Without ceasing? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean we're constantly in this posture of bodily prayer, like hands clasped, eyes closed, knees bent? Is that what Paul is? is that, I mean, I have to live in the real world, and so do you. Like, how on earth would we go about doing that? Now, obviously, the hyperbole would, would, would almost allow us to dismiss this offhand. It's like, oh, Paul's not really, uh, he doesn't really mean what he says. But here's the thing. I think he means exactly what he says. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? What do we do with this? Frank Laubach was a famous linguist and a missionary to the Philippines, and he spent a lifetime cultivating a conversational prayer life with God. And one of the practices that he pursued, in addition to extended time just sitting at God's feet, was as he went throughout his day, he tried to draw his mind back to God. And he didn't just do this like once a day or once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening. He didn't even just do this once an hour. Now, Frank Laubach, in order to pursue a vibrant and flourishing life with God, he he challenged himself to turn his attention, to turn his thoughts and affections towards God once a minute for every minute that he was awake. He called it the game with minutes. And in a small book called Letters from a Modern Mystic, he writes the results of this practice. Practicing the presence of God is not on trial, he says. Countless saints have already proved it. Indeed, the spiritual giants of all ages have known it. The results of this effort began to show clearly in a month. They grow rich after six months and glorious after ten years. This is the secret of the great saints of all ages. Pray without ceasing, said Paul. Praying without ceasing is an acknowledgement of God's presence as his spirit has made our hearts his home into a living temple, the living God, in every moment of our days. And so the question for us is, what if we as a people began to cultivate a life that simply opened our moments up to God? Laubach writes elsewhere, he says, I've not done some great and strenuous effort. He says, I simply have done nothing but open the windows. God has done all the rest. Praying without ceasing, if you could see that image, is simply like opening the windows of our lives, opening the the moments of our days to the reality of God's presence. Praying without ceasing sounds incredibly daunting, but it is truly one of the simplest acts that we can do in response to God's love. Paul describes the result of this kind of life in verse 23. He says, Is God keeping our spirit, our soul, and our body sound and blameless until the coming of Jesus? Doesn't this sound like an incredible piece? 
especially in the midst of a world that is so violently vying for our attention. I mean, you think of the way our, our devices are designed, the notifications, the things that are just constantly trying to keep us buzzing. You know, you think of the pace that we run at, uh, the, the endless amounts of work, the endless amounts of connectivity that we have. And yet Paul is inviting us towards a soundness of spirit, of soul, of body. A, a, a soundness that reflects God's cosmic peace, His shalom. This is the biblical vision of our destiny, the life that God has for us. God's presence brings an integrity and a congruence to our lives. So to rejoice always, first of all, is to pray without ceasing. And that's not actually as hard as it sounds, but it does take work. The second practice of rejoicing always may seem fairly self-explanatory when it comes to rejoicing, but it's interesting how often we fail to actually do it. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now again, this may sound hopelessly cliche, almost repressive, almost cruel, Give thanks to God in all circumstances, really? I've lost a loved one. I've lost a job. I feel like I've lost a year of my life in this endless quarantine. What about the state of our larger world? What about those who are going to fall victim as this moratorium on evictions is lifted? What about those who are facing homelessness? What about those who have had to suffer alone with COVID? Really, we should give thanks in all circumstances? That's really your advice? But there's such an important distinction here, and I want you to see this so plainly, Ecclesia. Paul does not say, give thanks to God for all circumstances, but rather, he says, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Thanksgiving in the face of all circumstances is another way that we practice defiant joy, and it's a way that we cultivate wonder. Paul, later in his ministry, would have so many opportunities to put this directive into practice over and over again. We see one case in Philippians chapter 4 as he writes from a prison cell in Rome to a church at Philippi. He writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks is acknowledging the presence and provision of God and the future that he has for you. And I want to encourage you, Ecclesia, towards two simple practices in light of doing the next right thing, in light of simple obedience in this complex Christmas. First, find a way to build thanksgiving directed to God into your daily life, whether it be time in quiet, journaling, whether it be time of, of singing and praise and worship, Make this a part of your life. It's been so interesting to watch as secular psychology and pagan spirituality have both settled on the importance of gratitude. You know, if you talk about the importance of gratitude, whether it's to somebody who believes in the way of Jesus and follows that or not, they, they would be like, yeah, of course, gratitude is so important. But what's so important is not just gratitude for gratitude's sake, but what gratitude does to reveal the heart of God to us. And Charles Dickens' Great Expectation 
Pip expresses gratitude and a little bit of guilt for the things that he has received. He expresses gratitude towards the benefactor, and I won't spoil the ending for those of you who haven't read it, towards the benefactor who has lifted him from a place of low status, relative poverty, to a place of privilege and status in society. But throughout the book, Pip's benefactor, this this unknown person who is showering him with these gifts, is trying to forge a relationship, a connection. He's trying to reveal something about himself to Pip. And this is what's happening in our lives. God is pouring forth himself, his good gifts. He's trying to show us who he is, that he is a God of abundance, of joy, a God who loves to see us rejoicing. And the blessings that we receive are meant to reveal the heart of God for us. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above. The good things in our life, and whether that be the biggest, most obvious good things or the simplest joys, those things are meant to point us back towards God, to direct our affections and our thanksgiving, our worship back to God. Giving thanks to God specifically, is like putting on a different set of lenses to see the world rightly. We, it reframes everything and it helps us to see the goodness of God and how it's traced our steps even in the midst of truly difficult seasons. I recently did a very simple exercise where we laid out the year from January to December and we plotted out the peaks and valleys. And, and let me tell you, 2020 was quite a year. There were a lot of really good things at the beginning of 2020. Uh, but, but in laying out these events, remembering the, the painful points, and even, even kind of feeling that, you know, the way the body keeps the score, the pain and anxiety of facing some of those things I, I faced throughout the year, seeing all these things helped me to see how much I had to truly be grateful for. I was able to see themes. I was able to see God's hand. I was able to see God's presence. It wasn't that I then gave thanks to God for every one of those circumstances. And it wasn't that all of those circumstances that caused pain were magically uh, spun around into something magically wonderful and great. That didn't necessarily happen. But what I saw was God's faithfulness. What I saw was the, God, the way that God, as Paul writes in this passage in 1 Thessalonians, was faithful. He kept coming to me. No matter how much I had blown it, no matter how much the circumstances I was facing were a, were a consequence of my own uh, indecision, my own inaction, my own bad decisions, God was faithful to come to me. And I want to encourage you. This may be a a simple exercise for you to do. Uh, Lay out your year. Note the really high points. Note the low points. And see if you might trace some themes of the goodness of God through that season. Now, the second practice may seem equally simple and simplistic and self-explanatory. But it's interesting how often we fail to do it. Give thanks to the people in your life. Like, Ecclesia, what better time than Advent and Christmas to take some time and to reflect upon the wonder that is the people in your life? Call out life and destiny in them. Say thank you just for being you, for existing, for being who you are, for putting up with me. As we say here at Ecclesia, words create worlds. And it's a shame 
that we often take for granted those people in our lives that we see every day that are closest to us. We see them as boring or routine or as furniture, but these people love us endlessly and they show up for us in the face of all of these circumstances. Rejoicing always in all circumstances is about giving thanks to God for the people in your life just for being there. And in giving thanks to them, you also acknowledge the gift of God that they are. You're offering praise to God because God made them and he allowed you to be alive at a time in a place where you could share your life with them. It's a simple practice, but so profound as we give thanks to the people in our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison for two Advent seasons in the 40s. And I read several of his Advent correspondences this week, and I was so deeply moved. I love Bonhoeffer keeps this nostalgia for Christmas. You can tell that he, he really was reminiscent about the time that he spent with family, the songs that they sang. Like Christmas has this deep and profound meaning for him. And he's writing in the midst of these dehumanizing and brutalizing circumstances, a Nazi prison camp. And for the entire time in his uh, imprisonment at Tegel, he was engaged to a woman named Maria von Wiedemeyer. And he writes to her longingly, hopefully, but also with a kind of resignation, knowing that he'll probably never see the outside of those prison walls alive. And in one of his last communications to his family at Christmas time, he offers a poem. And I think this poem encompasses so much of what it means to rejoice always. Bonhoeffer's circumstances are not great. He is surrounded by brutality and violence and hatred and darkness. And yet look at what Bonhoeffer says about the people in his life, about the circumstances that he's facing. He says, by kindly powers surrounded, peaceful and true, wonderfully protected with consolation dear, safely, I dwell with you this whole day through, and surely into another year. Through from the old our hearts are still in pain, while evil days oppress with burdens still, Lord, give to our frightened souls again salvation, and thy promises fulfill. Think of the juxtaposition of what Bonhoeffer sees as he's penning this poem, the surroundings that he sees, and the verse that he writes saying, surrounded, peaceful, and true, protected with consolation, dear. Bonhoeffer is putting into practice what it means to rejoice always. And he goes on to say, he finishes the poem by saying, by kindly powers, protected wonderfully, confident, we wait for come what may. Night and morning, God is by us, faithfully and surely, at each newborn day. He expresses, though his circumstances don't change. You know, Bonhoeffer's not like Paul and Silas praying in prison, and the prison walls are shaken open by an earthquake. No, Bonhoeffer doesn't have that experience. He'd be executed at Flossenburg in 1945. The prison walls never open, the bars never are pried open by an angel. His circumstances don't change. But in giving thanks, in rejoicing always, he acknowledges God's presence in his life. He acknowledges that God is still coming to him, that the truth of Advent, the truth of the gospel still reigns true, that God is God with us, that God will be God with us even in our darkest moments. Bonhoeffer experiences the, the tension of Advent. All is not well in the world, and yet all will be well 
Not because the circumstances will magically work out, but because the God of peace, the God of the universe, the God who loves us so dearly has given us his son to be God with us. Ecclesia, if you're looking for peace, for a sense that your life has some meaning, that there is hope left in the world, I pray that you won't quench the spirit as Paul implores us not to do. This spirit of God that is crying out to you right now, that I am with you, I am for you. There is nothing that I would not give to be with you. And there is so much that you have to be grateful for. There is a defiant joy, a rebellion of peace that awaits you in the midst of this war-torn world. You can live at peace You can give thanks. You can have a life that is opened up like a window at every moment to God because he loves you and he cares for you and he has come for you. Bonhoeffer and another correspondence during his Advent seasons in prison frames this well for us in a letter to his dear friend. He says, we are directed in a new way to the very thing that stands in the center of the Bible, to the simple reality of the gracious and merciful action which comes from God, from God himself. Into this lost world, we are no longer concerned with quaint and happy fancies, pictures and fancies from the reality which is so plain and from our distress, we thirst for the reality of the great divine help. Our question is whether God has really sent the one who has the right and authority for complete, all-embracing, final redemption. Has he? Has he? And the Christmas message is the complete, glorious yes. Ecclesia, receive the mercy of God with us. Receive his joy and thanksgiving. Allow his yes to you to be your yes to him. Allow his love to turn you from every form of evil and darkness and to hear his complete and glorious yes to you as he calls you into his marvelous light. Ecclesia, grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.